0: Taking a risk, because whenever you redesign in space and time, you are going against an established set order that has been established. And that has had many experts behind it. That's had much consultation behind it. We're never preaching any type of solutions. We are there to learn and listen to people from the places we visit. And we're very clear on that with our learners. In four or five years, will our learners really be sat there with a digital twin, you know, an AI platform that really understands them, knows their strengths and weaknesses.
1: Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and today's guest is Russell Cayley. Russell is the managing director and visionary behind Think Learning Studio. He sees it as his mission to revolutionize the education industry. He's been honored as a top 100 global visionary in education by GFEL in 2018. 21, and he's dedicated to positioning Think Learning Studio as a beacon of innovation and inspiration for educators worldwide, challenging traditional norms. I'm really excited about this conversation because Russell has come from Think Global School, which is the first, or one of the first, non-university traveling schools in the world for students who are a, a bit older and they have a model of really connecting with the local community, contextualizing the learning, taking not just what exists and imposing it on the local context or not just reacting to the context itself, but finding that balancing act between the ability to weave in the skills and knowledge and and relationships that are fundamental to the core of Think Global and really working with context and time and space. And this is certainly something that we'll be talking about in Think Learning Studio is the branch that works with professional development and really thinking about strategically planning and creating some cutting edge educational offerings, products, and ideas, and working with folks in order to move towards these uh, more experiential, more contextual, and, and deeper kind of relational learning experiences. Check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.com. You'll find articles there that I hope you'll enjoy. This conversation with Russell is really inspiring because we talk on a lot of issues, a lot of ideas, and it really is there to spotlight some of the wonderful schools that are out there, telling those stories to show that it is possible. In the meantime, I'll leave space for my conversation with Russell. Hi, Russ. Really excited to have this conversation. You and I have talked, we've uh, exchanged on LinkedIn, we've been... uh, working uh, in the same circles on the peripheries, tangential circles. So this is an opportunity really to open up the space in terms of of your work past, but also, and importantly, your work present and future. really want to get to know a lot more about you uh, as a thinker, as a doer, about Think Global Schools, about what that might look like. And really, I'll start off with who are you and what story do you want to tell?
0: Hi Ben, great to be on the podcast. Uh yeah, Russell Cayley. I've been with Think Global School 13 years now. So we were the first, world's first traveling school. So this concept where you you create a school somewhere in the world, and then every few months you pick up and you move. And the idea behind it was to teach in location, very much place-based. And what story I think I would like to tell, and I think I can offer is just some stories from the field and stories about working in over 20 different countries in an educational context um i think a story i can tell as well is it's curriculum that moves moves fast we we constantly adapt we constantly change curriculum which is a very different model from the the british system i was trained and i initially worked in where it was you know turning the titanic if you if you wanted to create some curriculum redesign so yeah so i i I think we move very quick at tgs and the pace is something that has always fascinated me and then an extra story i can tell is uh two years ago we began the design and the implementation of think learning studio which is our design lab design hub and my team go around the world and we onboard and we train educators in project-based learning we Um, we consult with schools who want to do that big curriculum change I just spoke about. So I don't, I work with the school, Think Global School anymore, but I'm no longer principal director. I've moved into um, a director role with the Think Learning Studio as of a couple of years ago.
1: And this brings up the important point that it's not just about changing what happens in the classroom, the pedagogy, the curriculum. There has to be also, this work around it in terms of really trying to work with educators and teacher colleges and, and at every level in order to shift perhaps some of the practice. I'll start with this other question about this constantly changing curriculum. And curriculum is is one of those four-letter words that sometimes feels like it's it's entrenched. It's literally written in black and white on the dead pages of paper. What does it look like to have a constantly changing curriculum? I and mean, does it mean having to rewrite everything all the time? Does it mean having to, to change things all the time? Is it? How do you respond and change curriculum constantly and quickly? How does that emerge? Yeah, so we've got a framework, Ben, where the essential pillars
0: of the curriculum are a constant. So, for example, we have teacher-led experiences and modules. We have the learners do personal projects and mastery We have our well-being pillar, which is called inside out, service learning, and then our capstone. So we have five essential pillars. The the constant redesign really lives and breathes within the teacher-led experiences, because if we go into a country... We can't really teach Legacy projects that we might have taught in that country three years before or four years before. and we do try and return to countries because you want to make use of the network that you've built and friends that you have in those locations. But for example, the students land in Bosnia in two weeks. Now we were last in Bosnia three, three years ago. Obviously times have changed. you know, the political geopolitical situation has moved on. We're now dealing with this ai phenomenon that is impacting every country all over the world maybe environmental concerns through whatever government is in power now have shifted so what we find within the teach-led experiences we offer the learners a choice of three modules they tend to be as varied as we, we can we can do it but they'll always adapt every time we go back to a country they'll constantly be updated they might look similar. Um, if, if, if the t- if the educator team really like the module, there might be some mini redesigns um, upon it. But you you also might get a complete overhaul. You might get a module completely scrapped from three years ago and rebuilt from zero. Now we don't want to do that, but if the situation demands it, and that would be the best experience from the learners to update a module in its entirety, then we will do that. And then I think lastly on the on the redesign aspects. Our wellness program has had to design, had to redesign quite quickly as well because, obviously, we we a couple of years out from the pandemic now, and you know we had to respond. Our, you know, our learners came back to us in Dubai. I think it was that was our first turn back in the field, and you know, some of them hadn't been out of their bedroom or their homes for eight to twelve months. I mean, our wellness program had to adapt very quickly to some pretty severe. You know well-being issues that, that our learners were and I think our adults our, our teachers were facing in the field as well. So I, I think that that being nimble pivoting qu- quickly. We definitely see in our teacher experiences and our wellness program.
1: Now I think it's pretty easy to understand that if you go to Bosnia you'll have a certain context and if for some reason you don't go to Bosnia and you end up in Slovenia or northern Italy, you would have a different learning experience because the context is different because it's a different place, different culture. But you're bringing in the time aspect here. So it's a space-time thing, whereas the times change even though you might be in the same physical location. That's not always something that we see in traditional schools of being able to respond to changes in time. Changes in time as in who's in the classroom at that moment, what their moods might be what the political situation, what the context is, why do you think that it's difficult for traditional schools to respond to time-based changes in context? And, and I guess this kind of weaves in also how you respond specifically at TGS, but what's the traditional that make this so challenging in traditional schools?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, but I, I used to actually work behind the curtain. I, I used to work for the exam board in, back in the UK when I was, uh, before I was a teacher and i went through teacher training college i think whenever you spoon-feed content which let's be honest is what a levels and ib do there is some i'm not saying there's no flexibility i'm certainly not saying that but as a as a as a former <laughs> history teacher you know we were told and i've worked in both systems a level and ib there is content content you have to cover there there there's a curriculum so that curriculum is deeply entrenched. I've sat in those meetings for many years where, where, um, you know, curriculum outlines and frameworks were drawn up and they, they don't change or they change very small components of that curriculum. And that's because there's a whole machine behind it. There's curriculum resources and textbooks and there's a way that, you know, history and sociology and maths have always been taught. And I think if you... As we did ten years ago, you begin to deviate from that path. A, you you're met with a lot of ridicule, <laughs> which 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 I was personally, and we were, because we weren't we were doing something so dramatically different, and that was a decade ago. So that was times were different then. And I I, I think ultimately you are taking a risk because whenever you redesign in space and time, you are going against an established set order that has been established, and that has had many experts behind it. That's had much consultation behind it. So I think that there is a, a risk factor. And when you are entrenched within systems like I was before joining the global schools where there's lead tables, and lead tables are linked to funding, and bums on the seats need to happen, or, you know, you again, that's also linked to funding Reputation. So when you're taking risk with curriculum in the traditional system, you're taking a risk with so much more you're, you're you know you you cannot afford in many systems to see your reputation. Now your reputation can be affected by all sorts of things change of curriculum, perception of change of curriculum. You know, these things called test scores may be decreasing while you adapt to a pivot, which which would be normal in any other circumstances. When a business changes its business model, of course, results might not be great for a couple of years while the whole team and the infrastructure adapts. But you're looking at that long-term view. And I think schools can't take that long-term view in, in making these significant changes because the immediate pain is, is too severe. And, and reputations and jobs then come under risk and and I, I I think therefore the system is pre-geared um and pre-defined and pre-programmed to you know push back and repel Innovation and creativity and that's and it's good at doing that it's good at what it you know it, it is good at that
1: And I can't help but think though, that this larger global system that is based on reputation, that is based on these scores, that it's based on UCAS points, on on having to standardize uh, the way IB assessments are done or whatever it might be, by not connecting to the local context. I mean, I don't wanna throw the word colonialism around, but I can't help but feel that disrespecting that local context and being able to adapt The learnings with the community at large really has a detrimental effect that's actually could be quite long-lasting
0: absolutely and i think you know as, as we as we get on this tricky ground of you know these british german american schools that are largely you know i live in so just for your listeners i live in dubai so i'm surrounded by what you would say you know british american german swiss schools you know how much flexibility do these schools really have to teach place and what that place is experiencing in this moment in time? And I would, after a couple of years of really taking a deep dive into this, because I, I do feel really passionate about giving back to UAE and Dubai and all the great things that this country has given me and my my, my family here, It it's very little. It really is very little. And I'll give you an example. In the UAE, they had a program called Rahal. And Rahal was a program to really experience place and to get the students and the learners out of the classroom to engage in local activities. And it really just, sadly, they could do... I'm not saying it hasn't taken off. It, it's present. And it, it's. I think it's a really good endeavor. But it could do so much more. And I think often when I talk to educational leaders... In, in the in in Dubai for example they will always cite the lack of time and the lack of flexibility because they have to teach and and all your listeners already know this we've we've hammered out this song to death but you know they have a test to teach to. they have a curriculum to teach but we've said this for years we, we've known this problem has existed and this this problem has stopped us embracing local place. And it's more and more, you know, and the Saudi Arabia, they're probably going to have the same problem. You know, schools now are flocking towards Saudi Arabia to set up as that, um, as as Jeddah and and Riyadh boom, but they're going to have the same problem. I, I I predict the same problem. Are they really going to appreciate the space and time of, of of Saudi Arabia? I probably not because they're going to get in the same mindset and exam factory mindset as we've seen in Qatar, as we've seen in in in, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. So I think it's a problem, Ben. I I, I really do. I, I I think how we, when these schools go into place and these other these place these different places, I think there should be some give, um, and I would actually like to see some some rules around schools going into different places. You know, thirty percent of your curriculum needs to be dynamic, place-based education. Something. You no, know, it's not going to be perfect on its inception. Let's let's be honest. It's going to take a few years, but we've got to start somewhere. And these schools just plonking themselves into these cities and then doing a, a hundred percent framework that was taken straight out of Manchester, Sheffield, or London just seems wrong. It's it's and it seems a little not with the times, and and it doesn't seem
1: like it's reading the room very well. And of course, we're talking about international schools, but this also happens with state schools in the UK, public schools in the US about having place-based. I keep thinking um, as, as you speak, whether or not you know some of the issues around the, the, the ecological breakdown that we have and this lack of ability to connect with our local food sources, our local rivers and so forth, is because of these curriculums that are that are created by somewhere thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away. Uh,
0: yes, I mean, I, I grew up in I grew up in Manchester. I don't remember doing anything place based in school. I mean, we played sports and that was fun, and I don't remember doing any service. Um, anything like that was kind of outsourced through through my parents. You know, maybe there was you were encouraged to maybe do something like Duke of Edinburgh or, or um, do some. Charity work down at the local church or leisure center uh, to to kind of give back. But it was, but that was not school. That was definitely for me not school links. So I kind of left the schooling system really not understanding in any educational framework the place in which I was from. And that has all different. And there was no space designed for me and my friends to really sit down and digest and deconstruct place. It was. This was done so. So that happened outside of any kind of structured framework. That was done between you know me and friends and later colleagues. But I, I cannot say it was it was done well. So if we're not getting this, if we're not solving this equations formula at, at the at the genesis of of where these schools are from and the the origin, sorry, of where these schools are from, then we're never going to get it right if we import these structures into places we just you know semi understand or don't understand at all and that has all types of um, knock-on effects as as you say you know you know sourcing of food sourcing of service um, understanding local government and decisions that are made understand the local context you know who picks up your trash every day and (laughs) you know it's so yeah I I fully agree with you And, and I think there's so much scope to do this and I And I'm not saying think global school has all the answers, but we certainly try and tread lightly when we go into our place-based experiences. And we're never there as, we're never preaching any type of solutions. We are there to learn and listen to people from the places we visit. And we're very clear on that with our learners.
1: And of course, we're not talking about learning Mancunian history in a textbook. Specifically, it's about going out there, as you mentioned, going out there uh, in the field, in 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 the spaces, in in nature, in the cities, to be able to 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 respond and learn and learn with the community. And so, I guess, I guess this opens up the door to project based learning, which is what you're involved with, with. Think learning studios and 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 looking at that. But project based learning, in 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 many ways, has um. Sometimes it's been. Corrupted, and it's you know your typical. You're, you send a spaceship to Mars. What do you pack in your backpack? You know things like that. But h- how yeah. do we how do we go beyond that and unashamedly try to respond to the world and our local communities through project based learning that isn't a cookie cutter format of just well, it's actually just you know the same, but maybe we just built something randomly or i mean i'm exaggerating with my point but but how do we go into and use the experience and the pedagogy of project-based learning in order to work with community
0: yeah this is something
1: at the studio we're,
0: we're grappling with pretty heavily right now i think as well i would say throughout the conference circuits and the think tanks there's been an encouragement for change for a long time, so I think we have to be careful not to bash the change we've all been encouraging because it's not quite being done how I or you or someone else likes it. I, I think that is we, we we've got to be careful not to institutionalize the 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 very thing we've encouraged. So as project based learning emerges and as different. Styles of teaching and learning emerge, which is something we've all been championing and and calling for for five, six years now. And I felt that on the, the, you know, different conferences I've 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 been to here in Dubai in the last two years, it's really picked up speed. We've got to be careful, I think, and that grappling we're having at the studio is what actually is it? Are we doing at TGS? We called it project-based learning. 9 10 years ago when we created the change maker curriculum I and mean, we moved from an ib school to having our own curriculum but i think it's I, I don't think it is i am really having this internal dialogue with, with 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 my own consciousness at the moment and where i think i've i'm landing is is i think global school i think learning studio we, we kind of do a a, a hybrid of portfolio based learning because we're very passionate on our portfolio and we've put a lot of resources and a lot of energy And it really is the backbone of our discovery course when we go into schools and help educators take that first step into PBL. And it's kind of three, it's kind of PBL times three. It's portfolio-based learning, meets project-based learning, meets place-based learning. So I think that is almost where Think Global School has landed. And as we conduct research and design over the next 12 months, I really would like. I'd hope that we find some clarity in in, in what we're doing, and I, and like I said, it's okay for it to be messy. I, I think you know when when you're trying to design something on the frontier, you're never going to. And I, I keep telling my, my my team this, you know, it's it's we don't need. To, and I think there is this this. I think we are almost preconditioned as educators to you know your lesson plan has to be perfect, your <laughs> activity needs to be. It's okay for it to be not. You know, it's okay for it not to be perfect. A, a good friend of mine many years ago said, you know, never let perfects get in the way of good, you know. And and right now we, we operate a good system. Can it be better? Of course it can. But I think we've got to, as you say, we've got to really grapple with this idea of project-based learning. And and I'm not sure it, that is where we, we are or even want to be. I think it is because we're always going to be affected by the portfolio that we are like I said, we are so passionate about. We're always going to be affected by places as we move into different locations. So yeah, it's a really strong dialogue we're having now. And I I, I think PBL, as more and more people do it, is going to mean more and more different things
1: to more and more different people. And this brings up another point that it really depends where we're starting from. At least, again, these are the ideas that that I'm hearing in your mind about, about where that is, because I can imagine that when you go into a school in X country... You'll have a different demographic in terms of their openness to PBL. Sometimes people probably have to be there; they don't want to, they don't believe it. Different schools are on different paths. I keep thinking of this idea of student-centered learning, where so much of the conversation is beyond student-centered, but for many, student-centered is already well far, um, you know, out of reach uh, in terms of what they can or even are thinking about doing. What What is your approach to entering a space uh, where PBL might not necessarily be a common currency, to try to get people to think, well, we don't actually know what it is, but oh, by the way, you should still do it. So how do you navigate that tension?
0: Yeah. And that tension is is a regular tension we will meet as as my team move around the world. Because we have to be very patient. You know, Not every school can do what Think Global School did, which was 100% curriculum redesign. So we've got to be mindful of that. We've got to be patient. And we've got to be, I think, courteous and polite to the, to the journey that, that whatever school we're collaborating with or partnering with are on. They're not going to be on our journey and we're not going to be on their journey. So that point of listening, where they're at, why they're there, so we do a lot of um, empathy interviews and research and we do a lot of listening to the leadership team and the um, educators on the ground. And we just really try and understand where they're at, how they got there and, and where they want to go. And I think it's, it's the question asks where what do we do when there's a bit of a t- when there's a the slight tension is we don't overwhelm. So, for example, a common solution to the problem that is emerging is schools will look to kind of chisel out an afternoon for a PBL experience. Now, it'd be easy for us, I think, global schools to say, well, that's not enough, you know, you need more, but we can't do that. We we, 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 we have to, if, some, if a school is given ultimately half a day to a project-based learning experience, then that's a step in the right direction. That's another school taking a positive step into the right direction and we were just collaborating with a group of schools in our partnership with the great barry reef marine park authority we we were edu- we were working with reef guardians an incredible group of reef guardian educators and to be they weren't doing full pbl curriculum they were doing afternoon or days but the work they were doing was was incredible so we were really helping them just refine a few steps you know well how did you integrate your learning objectives what do you let's have a look at your driving questions okay let's really break down the assessment and and how are you doing this why are you doing it this way okay can we help you with with maybe how you're structuring your exit interviews or you know how you're how you're looking at the you know we, we're big on the eq at the think learning studio you know how are you getting the eq in there very tricky but 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 again just because it's hard and we're not going to get it right first time doesn't mean we don't try so on that collaboration, the actual limited work that was going on in the PBL domain, because they had to deal with all their national curriculums and obligations or their state obligations, it was fantastic. It was incredible. So, in the afternoon, they were doing it. They were doing some incredible projects. Now, again, it would be very tempting to say, well, more, more, more. But actually, that job was more with some of those educators, not all, who some, edu- some educators needed to start from scratch but others it was just helping them refine a few practices because the realism was they weren't going to get any more time so it was about doing that afternoon really well without them being us pushing that educator to you know monday morning to appear in the heads room saying i want another day or i want another afternoon again we've got to be careful we've got to be realistic with the challenges and the and the scope that, that that our partners have
1: in the, in this in this PBL world. And in any kind of endeavor like this, as you mentioned, you have to have, first of all, the buy-in of leadership that open up the space for the educators. But what if we flip that around and look at maybe some of the um, impetus or, or some of the voices that the students can have in terms of trying to have more PBL? What has been your experience in that area of having it be more um, originating from students? When we are onboarding and when we're going
0: through orientation, I think global schools, there's often a woo, <laughs> I'm in control because with their personal projects and their mastery, they are in control. We'll always scaffold but my point isn't that in terms of topics and focus, they get a lot of scope. And what we see initially is many of them have gone through the interview process asking for more autonomy more work to be geared towards their passion and their purpose. But actually, once it's given, we actually see an almost pushback against it. Oh, can you just tell me what I need to do? can I just do a summative and formative assessment? I, I, I know that, that's easy. So you you often get these learners that go through a very rigorous admissions process at the global school, but it's all, all about autonomy, passion and purpose. And then, interestingly an almost paradox plays out when they're given that. It's almost like, just give me an exam. Just give me a test. So there's often a hump to get over in the first three to four months because the onboarding is so it's so heavy on... on I'll be careful with the word, word de-schooling, but it's, it's heavy on pushing them out of practices where the framework is so controlling. And so limiting that you want to give them, you want to give the learners that them that choice and scope back with help, especially in the first year that they're at, I think local school. So yeah, it's interesting, Bernie. you get that hump
1: where it's like, just give me, just
0: give me a test, just give me, just give me a textbook, just just tell me what I need to do.
1: And that's a real cultural issue when it comes to any kind of shift in exactly that culture, is that they're used to. You you ask. A lot of kids, I mean, I, I've done this in my classrooms and, and I know this is a story that could be replicated so many places. How do you know you're learning? I bet you in, in many cases, well, I get a good grade you know, and, th- and things like that. And and, and we have this yeah. mega net, meta-narrative. I, I'm wondering then, and I guess this is a good Time to introduce the idea of of what AI will do, and 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 AI has kind of been hashed and rehashed, and nobody knows what it's what's going to happen. So I I'm signposting the fact that we talk a lot about it, and yet nobody knows what's going to happen. So knowing that, I um am thinking about the fact that this is going to completely shift um, the way we do research, do you know, deal with content, and 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 I'm wondering what you think about. this this need that actually what we need now is to learn how to ask questions because we're just going to be inputting the questions into generative AI and then having to work through what gets produced and then use that as a platform onto other things. Just wanted to get your sense as to what the possibilities might be, not just about what AI does and has changed the way our learning, but what the possibilities might be in terms of how, again, we respond to the world, what some of the experiences that we might have in the world with AI that might either suck us in or liberate us, I think it's fascinating that questioning
0: prompting has now emerged in the last 12 months, less than 12 months, as such an important skill. And as AI grows, and I and I I'm fascinated by the the personalization aspect. I attended um, an Institute of the Future workshop probably about five years ago now, where. One of the activities was all about digital twins. do so if you've heard of this concept, you know, the, the idea of digital twins, and you'll have a digital twin that would basically fill in for you and do the work for you. And it was really far fetched five years ago. Like I, I remember sat in the workshops and the seminars, like I, I, I was taking a stretch to really imagine myself with a digital twin and how this digital twin would operate and the ethics around it and the what would they have rights? It was a fascinating workshop. For me, that kind of became more of a reality in, in the last eight months. And I'm fascinated by the personalization of this. Now we see this in a very limited way. If you're on Chat GPT and the thread that you're on will pick up the style of writing, it will remember the prompts, it will, it can pull back from past responses and place that into the current imagine that in a in a few years imagine where actually the ai isn't just the personalization isn't just based on a thread and it's not just reading your writing styles through a thread but actually you have a login you have a program and the whole ai that you're interacting with is totally designed around your preferences and your styles and your tastes that fascinates me you know is that the direction we're going to go in? As you rightly say, we don't know, but that has me curious. And will then, if we apply that to education, in four or five years, will our learners really be sat there with a digital twin, You know, an AI platform that really understands them, knows their strengths and weaknesses, and interacts with them on that level? Uh, I'm also taking a bit of a bird walk, you know, Will AI ever be... Um, responsive to you know how polite we are to it <laughs> you know will it ever be programmed to you know if you're you know if you're rude to the ai system you know will it, de- will it deviate in response so there's so many fascinating questions to it and then i so i i, I think the conversation right now is it's quite it's quite bland but that's okay because again we have to start somewhere so it's you know, but but what gives me a lot of hope then is I think we moved past, for example, the plagiarism issue fairly quickly. You know that that came out for a month or two. You know, schools and state departments reacted to Chat GPT and we're going to ban it. And I remember asking at the time, I was like, "Okay, you're going to ban Chat GPT, but how are you going to ban the AI on TikTok? How are you going to? You know, it was obvious that Google and Microsoft going to launch their own AI. You know, it, it was foolish not to think they were. So that narrative evolved fairly fast, and you know, to the credit of the IB, the IB came out very quickly and said, "We're going to embrace. We're going to help learners embrace." um ai so i think the speed and the maturity of, of the narrative has been really good to see and i think it was fine to ask these questions initially and it was great to see us move past them fairly quickly as well and i think if you're a school now trying to ban ai i i think you kind of look you look the perception is you look a little lost and i think school leaders need to build ai into the program I'll give you an example the reason i was so i was I really pushed for that portfolio-based learning earlier in our conversation is our learners at Think Global School are encouraged to embed AI into their portfolio. So the learner actually displays at every point through either reflections or icons where they've interacted with AI. And they're not punished for it. They, it's just part of the journey. It's part of the narrative. It's part of the artifacts, which is your portfolio. So if I'm working on a reflective piece, I'm using AI and I think it's brilliant. You know, someone who's suffered with dyslexia my entire life, and it's been a huge obstacle for me to overcome because growing up in urban Manchester, there was nothing there. There's no support, absolutely zero. And it was only in my my teacher training that I actually got diagnosed. So I developed a lot of coping strategies. But I, I, I can tell you with someone who's, who's suffered from that, it's, it's AI is transformational. Because the amount of time that I would write an email and have to recheck it, and double check it, and you know the brain would play tricks on me in terms of where words were, and you know it, it's on a, it's so liberating not having to worry about those silly mistakes that, that 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 you would make, and I think that is I think that conversation is largely un- undercooked right now. I think there's a whole um, conversation around how it can transform dyspraxia, dyslexia. Be a huge help in that field. And I felt that personally since um AI emerged last November. So I, I really see AI as being an incredible tool. It, it's it's I feel the signs are good. I think it's easy to bash. It's you know, everyone wants to catastrophize situations, but I'm really not there. I'm I'm seeing a lot of great dialogue on places like LinkedIn. I'm seeing a lot of incredible people be incredibly, not just resourceful, but generous in terms of sharing um, their resources. And I did a live feed with with a few people who are far more cutting edge on AI than I am. Uh, and what I said there, you know, I, what I brought to the table after that conversation is that I think with AI, we've got to be just really encouraging with each other and generous with each other. And, you know, we can't send these platforms like LinkedIn, to 2012, Facebook, you know, we, you know, where everything's a fight and everything's an argument, and we're always trying to get one up on each other. I, I think so, and I've seen great community spirit, especially on the AI issue, and that gives me a lot of hope where we're heading as a community of educators and learners ourselves.
1: I think that's uh, something that is absolutely fascinating. I've never thought about that that AI is actually a way to tap into the power of neurodiversity because once we're able to kind of stabilize the mode of communication which is really for dyslexia or for whatever it might be or or even you know i don't like the term adhd because it's got the term deficit in it but i'm just going to go with it as a as as a way to expedite the conversation Mm -hmm. but if we can stabilize the mode of communication then all the diversity that goes behind it and all those different voices, experience, ways of seeing the world can really be, be, be worked with. I, I've never thought about that and it's, it's, it, it could really open up some spaces. It also makes me think of what you mentioned about personalization. So I can see how you have a, a time when you're learning about a concept and let's say it's freedom and you might be interested, I don't know, in, in the civil rights movement and I might be interested in something else about freedom, let's say emancipation of, of, of women voters. I, I'm just making this up as I go along, but I can see like the, the videos, the content, the information mm-hmm. being personalized to you by AI to meet your interests so that you connect with it so that you find meaning and mine are different, but we have the same concept. I can see that for personalization. How can we use AI to allow us to have more fertile ground for collectivization, for coming together in terms of shared understandings, connections. So rather than individualizing ourselves behind our headsets, where we all have these different experiences about women, voters, and civil rights, we're brought together. Where is the space opening up for that?
0: That's probably, for me, the next step. I don't have the answers on that. I I really think that with AI, it, it came so fast. It came so hard. It came, it should have come out of nowhere. Because as I've said on other podcasts, we were talking about ai for probably five years every conference i went to the keynote mentioned blockchain metaverse ai so it was kind of bizarre that we were so underprepared for something we were talking about for half a decade but anyway that aside i think we're probably just getting to the age where we're all kind of figuring this out in our own heads and we're all probably figuring out how we like it personalized to what it can do at this point so for example I think there's been a lot of, you know, AI has really been in the sandpit and we've been playing with it, we've been understanding it. What I think we're at now is what you point out rightly. I think what is exciting is the next phase. I think the next phase for me, I've seen two things. One is AI moving more te- on a technicality uh, basis, moving to plugins. So, how AI works through, you know, me and the wife were trying to plan a holiday the other day and we had it through AI running through Expedia and that was, you know, on chat GPT-4. So I think as AI moves through plugins, that's a different way of interacting with it, but not to dodge your question, I think that's still a solo endeavor. In a more collective endeavor, I think that's probably where we're at now. And I think what I'm seeing is groups of people which are largely, I can't talk about the, the teenager universe i'm not in it um it'd be interesting to learn more as we go back to schools in september have groups emerged where you guys are connecting over ai you are discussing it because i'm seeing that in the adult world i'm seeing groups emerge i'm part of a few where we are not necessarily in a safe space but we're all kind of willing there's this it's probably a closed group where we're all willing to make mistakes together and we're all willing to look a little silly, <laughs> you know, ask a few, you know, kind of silly questions around AI or ask for help, you know, that you might around it. So I'm seeing these groups emerge. And I think that is, so it's becoming more collective. And I, and I would be fascinated to know when when we get back in September, if that has, um, because I think the learners are probably also using chat GPT, but they're probably going to be using AI for example on things like TikTok, that maybe the adult population isn't going to be as embedded in so i think as our youth groups move up through schooling grades and their own in their own stages i think where ai is probably going to be dominant as ai grows almost into every platform we use you know it will be on canva it's going to be on TikTok. it's going to end up on facebook it's going to end up on instagram it's going to be everywhere it's going to be poured into everywhere. So I think where groups are going to use it, that might be through age, but it might not be, it might be through all types of affiliation. I think I, so I think not, not dodging your question, but I think that is the next stage. I think it's going to, I think community based AI and how we communicate over AI in communities of interest is going to be something that comes next.
1: And to take it full circle in terms of the AI conversation, we're just imagining and playing with these and just posing questions that maybe won't have or shouldn't have an answer now. I'm going to bring it back to to Think Learning Studio and see really just kind of seeing what the next stage is for you guys. What What are you guys endeavoring? What the horizons might be in the future? What lays ahead?
0: We are really excited by the progression of those who have taken part in our discovery course. And we, we have WhatsApp groups linked to our old participants and partners. And it's incredible to see those WhatsApp groups come to life with people taking, you know, shots of their learners in the field doing projects. And you know, you 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 get the gratitude from our delegates saying, you know, giving us thanks and enhancing their implementation of project-based learning so what comes next for us is we we are really going to we've already built our next stage of courses but I think in light of AI and in light of the pace of change we're probably going to refine those next two next two courses a, a little more we're going to enter into some larger scale consultations where we are going to, Allow some release of the intellectual property around Change Maker that's been now obviously ten years and a lot of R and D and development and financial resources. So um, our board have, have you know have opened up the dialogue with other groups of schools to to share what we've learned in the last decade. And I would. Say We are are hoping to explore and continue some really exciting partnerships. We we have an incredible partnership, like I said, with the Great Barrier Reef, Marine Park Authority, essentially some really exciting schools that are are emerging around the world who are trying to not not just do project-based learning, but have done it for a while, so the exchange of ideas. And then I think next year to conduct year two of the Hakuba Forum. The Hakuba Forum is where we brought... 40, 50 educators together in the mountains of Japan to really break down education, to discuss, deep dive into it. And we, that was quite a small event. So we probably want to expand that and explore some growth next year with Hakuba. So we're excited for that as well.
1: Well, listen, thank you so much for your time and uh, all these uh, threads that we pulled on. Uh, and I'm sure um, we, you know, there, there's so much that that's going to emerge and, and go forward. So I, I really look forward to hear about how these unfold at uh, both Think Global School and uh, Think Learning Studio. Thanks, Ben. Pleasure to be with you. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.com. That's www.coconut-thinking.com. There's articles there, podcasts, and hopefully information that will find useful and interesting. Looking forward to hearing from you as always. And in the meantime, speak to you soon. Bye-bye.